have a seven or eight other pins that you know you can just go look at right quick and just decide if the wind works and if you can get there in time. Or you can just look at the whole map and scramble and, and try to come up with something for me. I'd rather have like a couple spots I've already kind of pre-map scouted that I know that I think would be good enough to look at. And then I can just real quickly skim the top of those and decide which one is the one to bounce to. Hey guys, welcome to the National Deer Association's Deer Season 365 podcast. I'm your host, Brian Grossman, and today we're going to be talking with two good friends of mine, Casey Smith and Tyler Jones of the Element Podcast and YouTube channel, and now a part of the Meat Eater crew. Uh, Casey and Tyler are are two great guys who have developed a, a real skill at finding success on public land across the country. Uh, they stay extremely busy, so it took me a while to finally to finally nail them down for an interview. But hey, it was worth the wait. They were actually on the road to New Mexico when we spoke, so the audio isn't perfect, uh, but it's definitely good enough that you won't want to miss the conversation. So be sure to stick around for that. Hey, before we get started, though, this episode is brought to you by our friends at First Light. Uh, not only is First Light a sponsor of the NDA but they also donate a portion of all the sales of their Spectre line of camouflage back to NDA through their Camo for Conservation initiative. So we're extremely grateful for their support. And if you're looking for some hunting apparel for the upcoming seasons, be sure to check them out at firstlight.com. And speaking of First Light, they're actually a part of our exciting Gear for Deer sweepstakes that we just kicked off last week. Um, we're going to be giving away a pile of prizes from our friends at Quiet Cat, uh, Performance Outdoors, First Light, and Tethered. Uh, that includes a premium Illinois November rut hunt, either gun or bow, your choice, a new Quiet Cat e-bike that comes in First Light camo, so that's a brand new offering there, uh, over $1,500 in First Light gift cards, and a few saddle hunting setups from our friends at Tethered. All the prizes were generously donated by these great companies, so all the money we raise is going to go directly to NDA's mission to ensure the future of whitetail deer, wildlife habitat, and hunting. This is definitely one sweepstakes you don't want to miss out on, so hit that pause button now on this episode and head over to deerassociation.com slash gear for deer and get your chances today. One more thing before we jump on the phone with KC and Tyler, uh, we're getting real close to wrapping up our Furminator fundraiser. So if you'd like a chance to win a six foot Furminator G3 all in one food plot implement, uh, you better get your chances before it's too late. Hey, in addition to that Furminator, we're also giving away a mystery gun for every 100 tickets sold. So you're going to have multiple chances to win some great prizes. All you got to do is head over to DeerAssociation.com slash Furminator and get entered for that today. And with that, let's jump on the phone now with Casey and Tyler to talk all about the element, uh, what those guys have going on with Meat Eater, and just some great hunting discussion in general. Casey, Tyler, uh, what's going on, guys? We are uh, actually headed to New Mexico to go do a little hunting. So, uh you found us, or we, we had a call here with you that's probably at a pretty 
pop time in our lives, <laughs> you know? It'll be a good talk. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. I assume is this kind of the first the first ton of the the fall season here, kicking things well, off? Well, yeah, if you want to call it fall. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well. We actually went antelope hunting, which is much more of a chase instead of a hunt, if you can imagine. Uh, it, it's the first time you've ever done archery antelope, and if you haven't done that, uh, might I suggest not doing that. Uh, <laughs> it's, it, if, if you want to kill one, uh, the gun's the way to go on antelope it, but it was it was fun it was a good time but this is uh more in a wheelhouse at least but i feel a lot more confident in that on this adventure yeah yeah now you were you guys on the antelope were you guys sitting in blinds or were y'all trying to to spot and stalk and decoy what, what? oh we were spotting stalking man i mean we we decided that we would do the most unsuccessful thing we could do which is <laughs> try to stalk a, a and shoot with a bow man and you know we felt kind of we felt kind of uh, bad about ourselves for a little while until we, start, until we started talking to some of our friends that had done that before and found out that it is quite possibly the hardest thing to do in America is <laughs> actually put an arrow into a, a uh, antelope that's looking at you. Yeah, yeah I, I don't doubt that. I've done some I've done some rifle hunting for them, and yeah, I know those guys uh, – yeah, they they're a nervous nervous critter and and can see a long yeah, ways right. out there, man. They it'd be yeah, like right. trying to put the stalk on turkeys. I think uh, here in the east, so. yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, you know, Brian, I, I thought about that. I was like, I, going into the hunt, I was like, man, this is going to be like whitetail hunting. There, you know, in, in open country, it's going to be similar. We're gonna, you know, I kind of have these like uh, kind of these thoughts about how hard it's going to be where how i need to hide like stuff that i've done before and kind of how i should approach this thing and then we get out there and, and i thought well you know people always talk about their eyesight and i'm like man you know that's just that's just you know that's hyperbole you know and we get out there and i'm like i find out real quick it is it, they they legitimately have something different than whitetail as far as the, the vision goes i feel like and, and their ability to see things on the landscape from long, long distances and recognize them, and then uh, just pretty much keep an eye on them. We called it the antelope stare. It's like a thirty-minute uh, stand there in the hot sun and just stare in one direction at you. you know? Yeah, yeah, man. I, I still remember, and it's been a long time since I've been out there, but I, I remember we spotted one from. I mean, I, I know the thing was like a good half mile away. You know, we're looking at it through spotting scopes perched on this hill. And every time we would start to, and it was bedded, but every time we'd start to move on this thing, he would stand up and, and you know, like do, do a little pace. And like you say, give you the stare down. And, and this went on for a while. And luckily, luckily he made the mistake of he finally eased over the hill uh, on the other side from us and, and gave us the opportunity to get up there and, and get within pop over the hill in, in rifle range, but uh, actually within <laughs> bow range, but we weren't bow hunting. So but, oh man, but, that's nice. But yeah, they were. Uh, yeah, it just amazed me how far away those things would would peg you, and, and like you said, just not take their eye off of you. That's crazy. <laughs> well, guys, I, I appreciate you taking time out of of your uh, your busy hunting schedule to to come on here and and talk a little bit about what you guys have going on with the element, as as well as uh, you know some some deer hunting discussion, which which is always good. Um. Yeah. But yeah, I you know I recently saw you guys have have joined the the meat eater crew, and and that's awesome. So definitely wanted to congratulate y'all on that. Um, Thanks, you, man. Yeah. yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we've 
we've had a lot of friends over at Meat Eater for a few years with, with Mark and Tony and some other folks. And, uh, you know, it just kind of was a good fit. They, uh, uh, you know, Mark reached out and said he needed some guys who could kill deer to come help him. And it's, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. He didn't say that. Now, uh, Mark's actually had a couple of good seasons. I'm, I'm, I'm adding for he's killed some, some awesome bucks. But, uh, yeah, we, uh, uh, you know, we, as you know, kind of have a certain style, the way we do stuff, the way we film stuff. And it's a little different than some of the meteor stuff. So I think that, uh, they wanted us to, you know, come along and kind of show the DIY whitetail side of things a little bit more. And, and that's what we try to do. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. That's good stuff. And, uh, yeah, t- I, I guess Tyler, I'll let you kind of take us back, rewind a little bit here, pre meat eater. And, uh, how did, how did the whole, the whole element thing come together to, to start with? Yeah, man. Well, appreciate you having us on to talk about this stuff, man. It's always, it's always fun to talk about because we don't get to, we don't, you know, just sit around talking about ourselves a whole lot. And uh, it's good to remember, you know. Like we this, talk about other people. Actually. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, uh, you know, it's, it's just fun. It's like the same reason we kind of video our hunts or started videoing at least is, you know, it's fun to go back and watch and think about things that have happened in the past. And, and, you know, especially when it's been successful, right? You know, so we'll probably won't watch antelope hunts too many times. <laughs> uh, but anyway, it's... Uh, the element was kind of an idea that I had. Uh, actually, this is this is funny, and I've told Mark this several times. But you know, I, I got uh, I got I, I used to tour in a, in a couple of different bands, and I toured in one that was pretty serious for a while, and uh, or really two that were pretty serious. But uh, coming out of college, I toured in one, and um, and so to make ends meet, uh, so that I could tour and kind of try to build this this band and. and you know, potentially do it for a living. I was basically cleaning toilets and changing, you know, sheets in a fishing lodge uh, in East Texas back home pretty much. And and then on the weekends we were touring, you know. And so as I'm as I'm cleaning these these rooms and stuff, uh, just being a music bum, I'm listening to podcasts, which my wife had told me years before I should start doing. And I started listening to Wired to Hunt at the time, one of the only probably whitetail podcasts around, uh, which is our buddy Mark that KC was talking about earlier. And, and uh, I would love to do this, you know what I mean? Like I could, I could do this, you know, just as kind of a side hustle and just to have fun talking hunt, you know. So I kind of got the idea, and I guess long story short, eighteen months later or so, I finally kicked off the element, which in between those two moments uh i had met kc uh, he his wife went to school at the same school i did and somehow we ended up through facebook kind of getting tagged in, in a video that i had made of a fly fishing trip or something and i ended up talking to him and as you can tell he's just easy to talk to and and then we ended up figuring out through a couple of fishing trips hey we've got some a lot of common ground actually and uh we we realized real quick that we could carry a podcast for two or three hours people don't work they want to listen that long, you know. Uh, but then that was where I kind of got the idea, hey, this would be a really good co-host to just go back and forth and gab with, you know. And uh, eventually, we started that thing. And uh, that was, uh, I think that was January, like, 7th or something of, of 2017. Uh, we filmed a little bit the year before. I just followed him around on some public land in Texas with a video camera. And, uh, and then 17 got a little bit more serious. And then 18, it was kind of like, hey, this might could be something. 
and just built on that throughout the years and, and people seem to like what we're doing. So it gave us gave us steam, you know. So it's been fun, man. Yeah, it's been uh man, it's been really cool to to watch the progression for you guys because uh, man, I still remember I don't remember what year it was, but I do remember uh you know having dinner with you guys several years ago at uh I, I don't remember if it was the ATA show or one of our national conventions. But you know, y'all y'all were plugging away, working hard at the podcast and, and the YouTube stuff, and uh, I think feeling some serious frustration, you know, trying to trying to get your foot in the door, get some sponsors, that kind of stuff. Man, I remember that, and it's just been, uh, yeah, it's been really cool to see you guys persist, and uh, yeah, now it's paying off, man. It's been yeah. cool. Man, the, you know, that's the that's the thing, right? Like you always think about it when you start now, man. I gotta get some sponsors, right? Because you know, you need some free gears. You know, somebody pays money or that kind of thing, and and you really try and try and try. And, and you know, to be frank, if I look back at it, I'm like, man, we didn't really offer, have a whole lot to offer other than just, you know a big smile and some laughs. And so you you know you you don't blame people at all when you look back for not you know putting a whole lot of faith in you. You just hadn't built anything yet. Man, it takes time. You know, people don't just uh, go into the real world and make good money without doing some schooling or something or earning their, you know, apprenticeship or whatever. So it just takes a lot of time to get that thing off the ground and it, and it can be frustrating. We both had wives and, and uh, we both have kids now, but, you know, at the time I had some young kids and, you know, it's, it's a hard thing for uh, just to be a mom until, you know, I had, I had a pretty good degree, to be honest. I've got an economics degree from SMU. I could have gone to work in a high rise and make pretty good money. That's probably be missing. But yeah. and that's what me and my wife talked about a lot. It's like, man, I can go do this, but I, I would be pretty miserable. I could find somewhere in the middle, you know, middle happy ground and it would be okay. Or I could be super happy with what I do, which is, which is what I've been blessed to be doing right now. You know? Yeah. Yep. That, that means a lot. Yep. Loving what you do for sure. And uh, yeah, I think, I mean, you guys, did, you, what, can you hear me? Yeah, sorry. There's a there's a big space there. I, I was worried that we lost. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. It's all good. But yeah, man. I think you know the the main thing you guys did is just persist. You know, I think a lot of guys out there give up before, like you said, they've they've really put in enough work, put in enough time to uh, for for things to start moving. You know, to build that momentum. And yeah, yeah it's it's. Man, I'll be honest, dude. It's not. You know, there's there's guys that do good stuff, man. Shoot big deer, put in hard work, know what they're talking about. Um, but man, if I'm being frank, you know, the the music thing, I worked just as hard at, and I worked, and we were pretty good at it, and we've had some great successes. But I just truly, it just wasn't God's plan for my life, man. And that's what happens sometimes. It doesn't mean just because you work hard that that God's gonna just give you you know, the lifestyle you want, man. I mean, dudes get injured in the NFL and in college every year, man, and it, and it kind of crushes their dreams. It's just not, you know, it doesn't mean that you can't find blessings somewhere blessing somewhere else, man. But, you know, uh, it may not be his plan for you. So you, you just, all you can do is strive and give glory where it's due, man. And, and uh, you know, if, you, if it's uh, if it's his will, man, it'll happen, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I am, I am curious now. You know, now that you guys are, you're, you're doing this full time, correct? Is it? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. Yeah. I'm, I, I, how does the reality of it now differ 
maybe from what you guys envisioned back in those those early the the struggle years is it is it pretty much everything you know you imagined or <laughs> I, you know i don't mean to make a duck of it but the struggle years i don't know if they're over yet <laughs> I, I'll, I'll tell you this I hear you. it's a blessing to be able to to now make a living doing this but it, it's still um there's always something man you know it's all it's all uh work now now i don't want to make it sound like we're not extremely blessed to do something for a living that we love to do, but there's always something that kind of gets in the way. But, I, you know, honestly, the biggest difference for me now is that uh, I can look my wife in the eye and, and she can, you know, <laughs> feel good about what I do as opposed to, you know, trying to stay away from the family all fall and, and uh, you know, trying to struggle. You know, I'm married to a, a great lady who, um, you know, kind of helped get me through some of that stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty nice now to at least, um, be able to make a living doing something that I really enjoy. I hadn't had to pick up a hammer for a dollar in, in a few years. That's kind of nice. So you see, I used to do construction for a living and that was, uh, well, I'll tell you this, it kept me in better shape for elk hunting. <laughs> Usually I'd build a house in the summer and that'd be, you know, slim and trim for the, for the fall. And, and now it's like, I got to go to the gym or run or something. And that's just, yeah, tough. <laughs> <Sometimes>. <laughs> yeah yeah but that uh, man that, that's that's a good point though i think you know most people have this perception or uh, you know any any job or career or whatever you want to call it is you know has its challenges it, it certainly has work involved it's not all shooting deer and high fives for sure when it yeah. comes to you know what you guys are doing i know that and uh yeah, so it's easy. I mean, I catch myself sometimes, you know, you get you get bogged down and maybe something that's going on or something you're not happy with, you know, with your job or whatever. And then, you know, you have to you kind of have to have a reality check there and like, man, I'm getting paid to to write about and talk to people about whitetail deer and deer hunting. I mean, yep. you know, you got to yep. just it's uh, gotta, exactly right, man. You got to have a level of humility about things sometimes, you know, and that's why I don't know. It's hard for me to even talk about sometimes, honestly, that you know, we're making a living doing this now because it is the thing that I'm passionate about and I love to do. And I know there's a lot of other guys that are like that, that you know, still have to go work something else, you know? And, right. and I think that it's pretty important uh, for us to have that uh, level of reality and, and try to convey that to other people. It's like, you know, last year I had the best season of my life, Brian, and I'm super thankful for it. I killed a couple really big deer. I caught, I killed a couple other nice bucks and, uh, you know, around the country. And that's just not realistic for most people, you know? And I, and I try to make sure that um, I don't portray myself as like, yeah, man, anybody can do this. Well, <laughs> you really, you probably, unless you aren't married or have a real understanding wife or your parents gave you a bunch of money, it's going to be hard to make that kind of thing happen, you know? So, like, I think that it's pretty important for, for people to set realistic goals and, and uh, you know, we can all encourage each other along the way to, to kind of make that happen, you know, but I, uh, this season I go completely different for me and I can look back at myself and be like, man, look at that guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he had a great year last year, but <laughs> he's doing terrible right now, which is probably what's going to happen. I'm going to miss the field here in a elk this month, but whatever. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, oh, I, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, uh, I don't want to ever portray it like, yeah, man, this is awesome. And any of y'all can, uh, you could be doing this, but you just don't commit hard enough or whatever. And that's just not how it works. You know, like I think that honestly, whenever uh, we're out and about, you know, I, I see somebody at cabin or something, we start talking about um, deer and, you know, a guy shows me a buck that he's had pictures of for three years and, and finally shot. And it's like, man, that is, 
way, way cool. You know, and, and I love those kind of stories. So the people who can persist and just chase the deer, and, you know, maybe it's on a property that they've managed and, and can, uh, you know, kind of put in the time and, and manage that deer. You there? All right. Like those type of stories are awesome. Yeah. You cut out there a little yeah. bit at the end. Can you, can you hear me? Yeah. I can. Okay. I'm sorry. We're kind of like near town. I'm surprised that we're having, we're on interstate. I'm surprised we're having service issues. <laughs> it was just a little bit right there at the at the tail end. You cut out a little bit. Okay. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's just inspiring to me to see those stories of guys that can uh, put in the work, the management, and you know, this is stuff that you write about and, and uh, kind of live out. But that can do that for a couple of years and chase a deer and build that kind of story and and uh, you know, shoot something on their own terms and be excited about it. I love that stuff, man. It's just gets me fired up. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, I, and. and Man, I love I love both sides. I love that. Love that aspect of it. You know, here just on the little bit of property I have and and then, you know, I still love getting out and seeing different places, you know, and, and hunting hunting deer you don't know and you've never seen before and uh and yeah. property you've never seen before. Well you've done good with that too, man. Uh, you killed uh I remember a couple years back you killed a nice Georgia public land buck if I remember right. Yeah, yeah, I did. O- opening day, yeah, a couple years ago. Yeah, and yeah, that that was my great season, and I'm I'm still trying to have a repeat <laughs> two years later. <laughs> but but yeah, maybe this will be it. Maybe this will be the year. <laughs> you uh, do one, right? <laughs> it is funny. I'm I'm going into this season a little different. Just man, between the weather and and you know just life, I, I haven't gotten out and like ran the trail cameras and stuff that I had before. And, and honestly, as you know, the season's gotten closer, I've kind of been all right with that. I'm kind of excited about just getting out there and hunting and not having this perception of what, what may be in the area or what isn't in the area or, you know, let, letting trail cameras dictate whether or not I hunt a spot on any, on any given day. So I'm, I'm kind of looking forward to that really. Yeah. That uh, makes it for a fun hunt sometimes, man. It's one of the things I like about going out of state. Is you can just go to a place and, and not have too high expectations. Like, I like to know what a representative of the area looks like. You know, like, you don't want to go to maybe a big buck state like Iowa and be like, I'm looking for a, a three-year-old seven-point or something. You know, <laughs> like, you want to kind of have a good idea uh, and, and do the property right or the area of the state right. But at the same time, it's pretty cool to not have, like, this better expectation and then be hunting a property in uh east texas where it's pine trees and you know a five-year-old's gonna score one hand you know it's just it, it's it's good to, to just be able to go out there and, and see something you like and, and go after it yeah yeah absolutely yeah it just takes takes some of the pressure off and, and like i said and I, i'm bad about on trail cameras you know you're, you're getting such a small snapshot of an area but i'll i'll let that dictate you know because because a nice buck hadn't walked in in that one lane, you know that twenty yard lane there in front of my camera, I'm I'm not hunting that area, and there could be deer, you know, walking just on the other side of the camera every single day, and and you don't know it, and so yeah, yeah I'm just trying to I'm gonna give it a try with without that and and see how it goes. So. Yeah, you know, that camera placement's a funny thing. It's I learned that this year in Oklahoma, I, I shot a really nice buck on public land and had like one picture of him at night from a day or two before, I was like, you know what? He's living in that area. Might as well go in there and uh, see if I can have an encounter. Sure enough, you know, I, right as it's getting daylight, deer walk right down the trail. <laughs> I was able to shoot him. And it, 
And I think that we just sometimes technology can be really cool and it helps us a lot of stuff hunting. It's, it's a lot of fun. I like my Onyx map in my pocket to be able to navigate all this stuff. But, you know, really sometimes you just got to still have that hunter's instinct about you and, and uh, know where to go whenever you're, maybe you don't have all the pieces of information that you think you might need, you know, like there's yeah. just a level of thing. There's just some risk you need to be able to take and, and sometimes it pays off. Yeah. And that's, that, that's a good transition. Cause that's kind of what I wanted to uh, talk to you guys about is, you know, obviously you guys are hunting all over um, a lot of, a lot of times hunting property you've uh, I'm assuming you've never laid eyes on or other than maybe on, on X. Uh, so I wanted to, to kind of, pick your all's brains and get a little bit of strategy, how you guys approach that. And uh, yeah, I guess really just starting with, you know, say you've already obviously chosen the state, but how do you start narrowing down what, what specific property you guys are going to hunt once you kind of have a state in mind? I got an idea on how to do this, but Casey typically <laughs> is the guy that kind of, uh, he really enjoys the sleuthing part of things, you know? And uh, yeah. He'll, he'll find, you know, he's got different ways of finding out where some big deer live or, you know, lots of deer live or whatever the kind of the goal of the trip is. So maybe he's better to talk about it. And then once he, you know, once we find, he kind of finds like, hey, let's try this area, maybe based out of this town or whatever. Then that's where I kind of just start finding. I'm like, okay, well, let me find the spots that I want to set up in this area. All right. Well, that's that's where we'll go to next. We'll let KC talk about finding the the property, and then yeah, Tyler can break it down how he, how you guys key in on the deer. Dang, he's gonna make me give up all my secrets. Let's just say this: there are certain uh, apps and websites you can go to that may or may not actually be oriented with hunting, and you can get a feel for what kind of animals are in the in the area and. We'll just make this specific to whitetail deer. Uh, you know, there's there's some apps that are used to, uh, and I, I use them as a nature lover. You know, to, to document wildlife. There's other stuff like social media that you can look and see. You know, what might have been taken in a certain area near a certain town. Look at that kind of stuff and, and see if you feel like, um, you know, because within states, like you even take. I always like talk about Iowa because it's hard to draw. And you're not like really burning a spot for anybody usually too much on that. But uh, so take a state like Iowa and uh, it's a great deer hunting state, no matter what county you're in. But there are parts of the state that are better than others when it comes to trophy class whitetail. Uh, so you can kind of figure out some of that stuff a little bit and, and start narrowing down, you know, maybe at least uh, areas of the state that you'd like to spend more time in and, then you can start looking at and see if in that area of the state, if it's if there's public opportunity, how much so, and if not, what's it look like? Can you door knock to get private access? You got to pay for a lease there. What, what does that look like? And then you can kind of decide if it's the place for you. Uh, you know, for me personally, uh, I enjoy both. Uh, now, having the lease ground is expensive, so I can't do that too often. You know, so I, I end up spending that time on public ground a lot of times when we go out of state. Uh, and it's just kind of hard to make those contacts, too, whereas you can get on the map and, and see, you know, the public land layers, whether it's federal or state or whatever. And, and some states even have like a private access program that you can get on. And you can see how much public ground is in the area that you're thinking about going to. 
and then you kind of cross section that with how many deer hunters you expect to be in that area, how close it is to uh, big towns. You know, I kind of like to uh, be pretty far from large metropolitan areas because those things tend to feed all the WMAs or whatever it is within an hour and a half. I'm thinking about Texas here at home. We live close to Dallas. And uh, you literally can go to a WMA and the Dallas side of that WMA will get, get hammered with people. And then you can go to like the other side, like which for us it kind of be, you know, kind of like the south side. And there will be less people there, right? So you can just see the influence of those big metropolitan areas of people getting out on the weekends, leaving to go to these WMAs. So all that to say, I try to find a spot that's pretty far from a metropolitan area. But still, you know, as a hunter, you kind of need a grocery store or something like that if you're heading out of, out of state. So you might want to even look at that, see if there's a Dollar General or something around that, you know, you can base that up and get your food from or whatever. And then uh, from there, you're pretty much narrowing down a pretty good area. Does that get you to where you need to go from, Connor? All right. I mean, I, I feel like that, that could get me there. All right, good. I mean, is that where you, you want to go there next, Brian? Yeah, yeah. Let's t- let's right. talk about that. You've, you've kind of got – and now, I mean, you guys – typically narrow it down to like one track to public land or are you kind of you know you're picking maybe multiple tracks within a you know relatively yeah. doable drive of, of one another or yeah we have to so i don't know man I, I i would be perfectly fine if i was going with like maybe if i was going with one one camera guy or if it was just me being you know like before i had camera guys like in 2019 say I, I I would be okay with going to a, a place that's like it could be even you know just a uh, a section of land six hundred forty acres you know relatively small when it comes to public land parcels maybe and, and that is kind of far from anything I'd be fine with going there if I felt good about good about it looking at it on the map on Onyx and I was like this is you know there's three spots on here that I can hunt deer on on two different winds pretty pretty guaranteed i feel like and sets up really well say it's like earlier season or whatever or if it's rut maybe you're hunting you know pitches or funnels or whatever or you got a creek system on the property in multiple spots you can hunt it different winds and access and all that i would be fine with that but we generally have to look at uh having multiple guys that are hunting in an area together a lot of times it just makes you know logistically it makes sense for us to pop in a truck together and hunt a place or an area, you know, in, in groups of two. And uh, it help, we help each other, and it's more fun, too, you know. So we have to find some, some plan B and C and E and F and all that. You know, like, it's got to it's gotta be a couple of different options for us to really get there in a truck and get start hunting. But like I said, I wouldn't be a – I've got some – I've got pins, dude. Between Casey and I, I bet we have 5,000 pins on Onyx. Oh. That's not, not an exaggeration. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and so I've got some pins in some states, man, on some properties. And I'm like, that would be awesome. But I don't know. You know, we can't go there if we're hunting together because there's only two spots. And if one of us doesn't like the spot, then it's an hour and a half to the next piece of public, you know. So it's really, it really is. You know, most people listening to this podcast are probably going to be guys that might just try to stay by themselves. Or you know whatever it might be that the small group essentially, uh, and those are those are places that people don't go to. I feel like so you know, and guys like me, I'm not going there too. So if you're worried about me burning spots on you know the YouTube channel or whatever, <laughs> then 
go to those places because we we're not going to them very often, you know. So, but then yeah, that gets us that gets us, you know, usually a place that has at least a few options, multiple public land tracks within, you know, an hour of each other. Or so, where we can kind of base out of and and uh, plausibly like get to within a morning without being late, right? And then from there, man, it's it's a matter of uh, we I mean there's just like in Georgia, man, it's 100 degrees, you know, half the summer, it feels like, most of the time. So, next, all summer. That's that's the best way for us to kill deer in the fall. It's not really a going trail cameras or a bus brush or velvet scout being big. So, uh, you know, it's it's get on on X and figure out these spots you're going to in the fall and really deep dive on them. And so, you, you can kind of do a couple of different approaches here. KC kind of shotguns and, and throws pins all over the map and then they'll kind of come back and look at them and figure out which ones he likes the most. Just generally, he's got more options than I do usually, uh, which has saved us a few times, man, more than once for sure. And then I, I will like, I'll find like six locations I really like and then I'll probably like Blue Ribbon two of them or something. And, and those are places that just per my experience going out of state and hunting and, and that kind of thing, or maybe even have been haven't been to that area before. Uh, I'm able to go, man, off, based off the map on a southeast wind. I can kill a deer here in the evening. I mean, and, and it will more than likely if there hadn't been a person in there. You know, say it's late September and there hasn't really been a person in there in a couple of weeks. That's that's a spot, man, and I and I feel real confident about it, and I want to go in there. And so those blue ribbons are usually the places I go to, and it may be a small parcel. You know, but it would be, it would typically, like I said, it would be close to other parcels in the area so that we all have options. And that's, uh, you know, he's, he made the point in, in case there, if nobody's been in there, and that's why I do the shotgun thing. I, we're like, it's happened to me more than once, especially now that, you know, we do podcasts, videos, we have meetings and all kinds of stuff midday. Sometimes we're on hunts and, all, and everybody gets busy, you know, and you will go to a place in the afternoon, run a little bit behind. And there's a, you know, a single cab Chevy park there. You're like, crap, man, what am I going to do now? It's, it's, and, you know, good for that guy, right? He got there early. He, he was prepared, responsible fella. Well, then you have to either scramble and, or you, there's, you have like three options. My least favorite option is to go in there anyways. I, I just, man, something about when there's a person on, uh, you know, a parcel that's moderate sized or smaller. I just don't like to go in there. Now, there's some, you know, there, I understand like trailheads and stuff. Like that guy could be anywhere in a 4,000 acre place. Yeah, that's fine. But you, you get what I'm saying, right? Like, oh, yeah. You're on a, you're on a section of ground, public ground, and, and there's a truck there. I'm just not going to go in there if I can absolutely avoid it. So, uh, you can either like, have a seven or eight other pins that you know you can just go look at right quick and just decide if the wind works and if you can get there in time. Or you can just look at the whole map and scramble and, and try to come up with something for me. I'd rather have like a couple spots I've already kind of pre-map scouted that I know that uh, I, I think would be good enough to look at. And then I can just real quickly skim the top of those and decide which one is the one to bounce to. Uh, and that's helped me. A lot. Now, I don't know if I've ever uh, killed a deer doing that directly, but I've had some good encounters and had some things happen that would, you know, lead me to kill a deer later in the trip because of that. 
it has, it's way better than the worst thing I can imagine. And I've done it a few times and I'll probably do it again this year is uh, end up driving around in the truck uh, in prime hunting time and just going back early and making supper. That's you just miss a whole hunt on an out-of-state trip. That is just, man, that just feels so bad. It leaves a bad taste <laughs> in my mouth. But not that you can't learn something driving in the truck and scouting that, you know, that works for sure. But you definitely can't kill them driving in the truck. And if it's a day where never season's open, I would much, like 100% rather be in the field, in a tree, whatever, actually trying to kill one. So I try to do whatever I can to set myself up to be able to do that no matter what the circumstance is. Yeah. So you don't, when you guys, when you guys get on site, you don't typically do you give up a day or, or give up two days to scout or are you just scouting as you're hunting? Right, you know, scouting your way into hunter. Yeah, we're 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 fairly aggressive. Um, you know, if we if we're scouting, it's because the season's not open yet. You know, so <laughs> yeah. uh, it's typically if we get to a, a place. I mean, the the general uh, consensus when we get to a place is uh, a lot of times is drive and find find. You know, we we'll, we we may spend a day or not a day, but some time driving. Uh, and a couple things we're looking for uh, trucks, right? Uh, you know, even if the trucks aren't in the parking areas, like what does it look like? Is there fresh tire tracks? Are there uh, dudes around? I mean, we've even seen where we even didn't go into a place one time because there was some, like snow and toilet paper all over. Toilet paper everywhere. Man, okay, there's it's not a dude in there now, but there ain't a deer in there either because this dude's been pooping all over. Dude in there though. So. Anyway, you can look at the local cases and see how many hunters trucks are parked yeah. there at nine thirty donuts too, you yeah. know, and that'll give you an idea of oh, like yeah. how much pressure's around. If you yeah. go to a place where there ain't no hunt, hunting trucks, you know, you don't see any trucks of camper toppers, you don't see any trucks of four wheelers, it makes you feel pretty good about hunting the area. Yeah. yeah. The other thing we're looking for would be like, you know, what crops are in. So for instance, like in, uh, in twenty twenty I, I killed a really big deer on Illinois public. The season was a really good cold front coming in about two PM the next day. And it set up a northeast or northwest wind was gonna be really good for me in that spot. And kind of those uh southeast weren't ideal for me. I stayed out of there the night before in the morning before this hunt. I drove and I basically marked corn and beans all the way across I believe what I wanted to hunt was corn and not beans at the time. So I was making sure to denote which was which, you know, and I just would throw marks down, yellow pins for corn, brown pins for beans. And uh, I did that and I didn't even need it. I, those were, that was kind of my like backup plan, but went in and hunted a scrape that afternoon on that cold front and every big buck that we had on camera in there showed up that afternoon and it was haywire. <laughs> um, but it was, it, was, it was a great afternoon, you know, so I didn't even have to, I didn't even use all that, but that's what we did generally do when we get there is, you know, figure out like if you're in, if you're in maybe like some more dry country or whatever, it might be alfalfa or wheat. And you're just trying to see like, especially last year when we had such a bad drought across all the kind of, I guess, in Texas all the way to Canada pretty much. We had, you know, there just wouldn't even be crops. Like it got planted, it got killed and everything. Uh, but there was no rain that ever came. And, and then in a lot of fields, there would be like the back corner or the low part would have wheat or something, and the rest of it would be dirt. 
and you can you can see that deer would congregate in those areas of the field that actually had weeds. So that would kind of lead you to know which drainage they were using, maybe to come up to that, right? Like normally they might use this back corner because it's far, uh, but they're trying to come get something, so they're going to use a completely different drainage to get to you know that the only food source around. So that's the kind of stuff we are typically looking for. Uh, and then, you know, if you're there in the rut, man, just keep your eyes peeled for bugs moving, especially if you've got kind of intermittent private public stuff, you know, that's a good way. We've, we've been on, you know, I, I, last year in one of the videos that we put out from our deer hunting season on the Meat Eater channel, uh, you can see where a deer, uh, we rattled the deer across the private, the public, and I, I mean, almost got him killed, man, I'm telling you. Then we had some guys, some public land hunters actually uh, come through the road that he had just passed over and messed, messed the whole situation up. Mm. But they, yeah, that's not intentionally. No, it wasn't, it. it wasn't intentionally. It was just, you know, they, they had no clue what, <laughs> that was going on. They didn't like that big three-quarter ton uh, truck, though. But, you know, that's the things that, that can happen, man, if you're driving, is you can figure out stuff like that, especially in the rut. So. Uh, but you, yeah, usually we do that, and then it's like, okay, what did we learn in this area? Let's put it into use, and let's get in there. Be, be fairly aggressive. Don't do a whole lot of observation sits unless it really, you know, especially in the rut. You're not doing any ever. I mean, if you're sitting off because that's the most determined play, then you still are. You're in the game. You got rattling more than a growth hole, you know. So yeah, usually if we're sitting, if we're sitting off where we really want to be like early season we're still somewhere we feel like we might kill the well kind of kind of going back to the to the on x and and actually before ever laying eyes on the property what i mean what kind of specific things are you looking for to to when you're making those locations like you're talking about picking out those those spots those those blue ribbon spots what i mean what are you looking for specifically uh, on on x to kind of figure that stuff out uh i think that it's crops and cover. Those are like the big deal. Uh, I want to see a place that I know old deer and uh, have food sources. You know, I love a good natural food source. I've killed a couple deer over, you know, just natural browse, whether that's uh, acorns or some plant they particularly like to eat. You know, depending on where you're at in the country, might be plum, snowberry, whatever it is. But, uh, the stuff that you can't really map scout for that, but you can map scout for the, the agriculture food sources. So uh, that's something I look for. I like to look for something that's, uh, I know is pretty guaranteed. So like winter wheat's pretty guaranteed. Uh, alfalfa usually pretty guaranteed because they don't really rotate that as near as often. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's kind of the main, main deal, man. Is, and then like places where you know you can, pinch deer, congregate deer, where uh, you're not hunting a, a big, just vast area, hoping one happens to come out where we're at, you know, those pinch points, uh, fingers of ridges, bends and creeks, all that kind of stuff uh, really just jump out to me as places where it's like, okay, this is where they're going to go. You know, if you can find a spot that's got some terrain and maybe another uh, like type of pinch point to it, that's how you know that spot's worth jumping into and, and going after. If you, if you just know that, hey, all the deer in this area are probably going to walk in 50 yards of this spot, that makes me feel real good. That's definitely, I, I, I'm in the same same 
ballpark there, man. And I think if I was to add something, like if I'm going to blue ribbon it, it has to have pretty much all those characteristics, like the, the pitch, like Casey said, and emphasize it's got to be, you got to feel like that is the spot that you're going to get a shot. Not just like, oh, they could come by here. And then, uh, like the thing I would add is probably, uh, if you're going to have them in daylight, they got to be a certain distance, you know, from from a parking area, or from a road, or from some sort of access. Uh, that, so that that destination area has to be a good distance, and then also where they bed has to be a good distance too. So I mean, typically, if I can get something that's like at least six tenths from a from an access point, then six tenths of a mile or more, I start to feel really good about it. If it's within a half mile, it can it can definitely work. I've I've done it before, but uh, that's really like I can't really blue ribbon that spot on Onyx, you know, 900 miles away from it. I gotta, I would have to be there and see that there hadn't been anybody in here, you know. Right. So, and, and I think one way to do that too, which we don't use this a whole lot. We have uh, is water access. You know, if you can, if you know that that there's water access, uh, the whole that's the only way in there. It could be, you know, 30 yards off the water. That, but that's a way to baiting kind of blue ribbons and stuff too, especially what we did last year on one of our episodes. Yeah, we got a yeah, we got a video coming out with, with our buddy Clay Newcomb where we hunted in in Arkansas. Uh it spent a bunch of time in a in a big old John boat I have cruising up and down the river <laughs> and uh you wanna feel good about a spot, just pull the boat up to the riverbank, pop up over and get in a tree. You know, if you, if you feel good about the place, like you haven't stomped up anything, like that is just about as good as access gets, right? And you're uh-huh. ten miles from the next person or whatever, you, and that's a that is a real cool thing and something we got to mess around with quite a bit last year. That's pretty fun. Yeah. So okay, so <clears throat> off the beaten path, you're looking for food sources, um, ag crops, that kind of thing, cover. And then hopefully some type of, of terrain pinch point or something to, to funnel deer movement. Sounds like, does that kind of cover the, the main yeah, basis? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I think that the reason that, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like, well, duh, you know, but like it's it, the reason that food and bedding or cover would be, uh, you know, pretty main importance is because it doesn't matter if it's the rut or early or late season, the deer is going to be controlled by being uh, not having to run into people that are doing weird things and by eating every night. And so even if you're hunting buck, big bucks in the rut, they're still going to want to check out those. And guess what those are doing in November? They're going to a food source to destinate at night and eat. And so, I mean, you have to, you have to find where those places are and it doesn't mean that you're setting up on a field edge or on bedding and hunt, quote unquote bet, buck bedding but a lot of people like to talk about we're, we're hunting you know a lot of times you're hunting a pitch that's in between those two things uh close enough to bedding to, to kill the daylight whatever that looks like gotcha so once you've okay you've you've map scouted you've found several of these locations you found you found your blue ribbon spots um <laughs> what What's it look like when you when you get on site? Now you've already mentioned you know you're you're driving around and kind of checking these accesses, getting a feel for hunter pressure, but then uh, kind of move us forward from there. Well, one thing that I'm pretty big on and have been 
really trying to dial is, is my access and, uh, you know, walking a little bit further to access something the correct way sometimes instead of being really iffy. Uh, so, you know, I'm definitely going to, if I have the blue ribbon spot, I have already, I've already considered access in that. Um, so, but then once you get there, you still have to navigate through what you, what you thought you saw on the map versus what you're seeing on the map on, you know, in real life. So what does the brush look like? Is there leaf cover that helps you to get away with, you know, visual, visually get away with access? Um, and then also, you know, where, where are the trails that you may not have recognized would be there? Uh, you know, if you're not seeing human sign in there, then let's talk about it that way. Then basically I'm, I'm trying, I've been a lot more cognizant of ground set the last couple of years. Uh, you know, Casey and I, I think it was, I think it was uh, January of like 2017 or something. It was the end of the season in Texas. And we went way back in and hunted, hunted close to a food source uh, on Texas public land. And we saw some big old bugs, man, that night. But when we got to where uh, we, we found a, a fence gap where somebody had like cut a, cut a fence uh, or maybe it was a gate. Maybe it was a, a gate that wasn't closed or something. Uh, but we were seeing good trails coming in there. And we we're like, man, we should hunt here, you know? Well, before we decided for sure to hunt there, we took our bags off because we were this is back when we were tree stand hunting and had big old heavy sticks and tree stands and all this and that. We hadn't done the saddle stuff yet. So it was just wearing on our shoulders. We took our stuff off, we're sweaty, put it on the ground right there in front of that gate or whatever. Well, we decided, okay, we are going to hunt here instead of going on and trying to check in the next place. So we hunt, we hung, hung up there and hunt, and we have antler restrictions, so we can only shoot either uh, unbranched antlers, so a spike on one side or both sides, or it has to be 13 inches wide. We saw some good bucks that were out in this food source, but we had two spikes right at dark that came that were going to come right to us on this trail, man. And they come through, actually, from the, they kind of come, make a loop through the field, the food source, and work through this gap. And they locked up. These are, you know, year and a half at most deer, you know. And they lock up on our where our bags were <laughs> sitting on the ground, and that I can, that was kind of the first time I started going, man, this is this is for real a thing. Ground scent is a thing, you know. So I'm really careful on once I get to, I guess, man, it's gonna be long winded. So sorry, I'll try to make it quick. But <laughs> basically, right. when we get to when I, I think about my access, I try to make my way to the tree, you know, fairly fast and, and carefully. And then once I get to the tree, um, I'm approaching that area that I put that pin and it's not necessarily on a tree, but it's in a very small area that pinch that KC was talking about early, uh, earlier. And then I just, I will stand there and look for sometimes 20 or 30 minutes and I'll, I'll try not to, I'll try to and I'm just using my eyes. I'm, I'm planning like my stick route up the tree and, and where I would sit, where my shots would need to be. And can I get my bow over that limb to shoot it? Can I, do I have shot windows? You know, what do I need to tie back uh, as far as brush or limbs or trees goes so that I can get shots, right? So, uh, you know, most, most places we go in public, we can't cut, can't trim. So we'll tie stuff back there for it if we need to. It takes a little more time. We don't do it all the time. But if you can, if you need that, then that's what you do. And really the most important thing is being at the place you can get a close shot. And so it doesn't matter. To me, cover in a tree is a secondary. If I if I have to be kind of out in the open, 
uh, you know, and don't have much branch cover and stuff like that. As long as I can get the shot on the deer, that's really what's most important to me because I think movement is the key pickup for deer whenever they spot you. So just being still until you go to draw your bow. You really just have to think think it all out. At that point. Man, that's a big point. You know, like, Brian, we used to try to be like 20 foot plus up in a tree whenever we were a tree stand hunting. And nowadays, I bet you there is just a limited amount of times that I'm above 13 feet up in a tree. I mean, my platform's usually sitting at 10 feet most of the time we're on public ground. I imagine it's, it's uh, a lot of times because we're just choosing the, the tree that you need to be in to kill the deer as opposed to trying to find a good stand tree. You know, and a lot of times things crooked, small, whatever. You can't hang in a tree that's real wiggly, but at the same, you know, because of the motion issue, but at the same time, like, man, a lot of times the, the right tree is seven yards off the trail and you get 10 foot up and you wear some good camo. We wear first light specter and that stuff looks good in most of the places we go in the country. Be real still on the tree and the first movement that deer sees is potentially when you draw your bow, maybe even not that. There's a lot of times, I mean, the best situation is he doesn't know you're in the world, right? But if it's super still, those things are good at picking that stuff up. But by the time your bow is drawn, it's usually too late. And so it's just all about that being stealthy, man. That's that's a huge key on that, being super close stuff. Yeah. Well, one more. I know we're about out of time here. There's one more question I always like to ask because it's it's one I struggle with probably more than anything when, when I have a good spot that I'm hunting. And that is, uh, you know, once once you've chosen these spots and gone in to hunt them, how many sits will you give a spot before you're like, yep, we, uh, we got to go somewhere else. Got to go to plan B Dude, here. I love this question. Because <laughs> it, I feel like, uh, well, for one, it's, it's hard to answer, but I have a good answer because mine is one sit. Right. And people are like, what? And then it's like, I mean, straight up, there's a few places in this world that I feel like deserve a few more. And there's a few days of the year that I think you can sit in the same place twice, two, three, four or five times and have good hunts. And that's usually, you know, peak rut stuff. Um, but outside of that, say we're going on a season opener trip somewhere up in the, the Northern Plains. Uh, I'm sitting a place one time. And if I don't see something that I like, I'm moving on. I mean, I just, there's only so, you know, on an out-of-state hunt, a lot of times if you can string five days together, you're doing pretty good. That makes 10 sits that you got. And you can't, just burn out uh, you don't have time to burn out a place just wait on a, a buck to do something different the next day it's just right. too risky for me yeah i think it's you know obviously you have to weigh out your variables right like uh you know if you're hunting you know in georgia and you know you're 20 minutes from home or whatever then you may you may hunt it more often because you kind of got a season to kind of see and learn and all that but uh, you know, and you may not have a whole lot of public land spots. So the variable would be like, how many spots do you have? We're, like, we're talking <laughs> public, you know. So if you don't have many spots to hunt, then you may just stick with it. And another thing, another time that I would hunt uh, a spot more more than once, because I'm in the same boat. Like I do not, I do not like staying in a spot if I don't see something that gives me a lot of hope. And so um, the other time you would do that, though, I think is is pretty peak rut um, where. Things can change in a spot literally in 30 minutes. You know what I mean? So, yeah. you know, if you don't see something, but it sets up really well, you got a good wind for it in the morning. Say you only saw two or three does at night or whatever, man, you know, it only takes one of those does 
and and it only takes you know like i said 30 minutes for a deer to walk you know a mile or more and be in your life all of a sudden so <laughs> I, I would do that in the rut and, and potentially you know and i have done it I, I actually on private land in 2015 i sat in the same spot for five days straight before i actually killed a bug but i had good access too that's another thing if you don't if you got good access and you're not bumping deer going in and out, man, I mean, you can you can wear the spot out a little bit until something comes through. And that's how it was on day five, where that buck finally followed a doe in, and uh, I shot him at 15 yards. But and I was hunting that particular buck too, so yeah, that's it's there's like lots of variables there, right? But on right. public land, you're going out there to kill a three year old buck. Uh, yeah, move around till you find one, Yeah, Guys, I appreciate your time, man. I know you got to jump off here for another call. Uh, for those who want to kind of keep up with what you guys got going on and, and follow along with your season, uh, what what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, man. Hey, I appreciate the opportunity, Brian, and, yeah. and thanks for having us on. I appreciate your friendship. Uh, the uh, best way to see what we have going on day to day, of course, is going to be social. Uh, Instagram is going to be the Element Wild. Uh, Facebook, uh, we have an X now, which is uh, the app formerly known as Twitter. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what it's like. A good old free speech platform, so you can see some cool stuff on there. Um, and uh, then our personal or our Element YouTube channel is where we put up a lot of stuff, like kind of as it happens. We try to get our our hunts out on the Element channel within a week or two of real time. So, uh, you know, if you kind of like that, like, Hey, what is going on in the deer woods right now? Type stuff. Um, that's an opportunity, uh, for that. And then, uh, we have, uh, the element podcast, which is, uh, where Tyler and I, uh, laugh a whole lot, talk a lot about tactics, a lot about the hunts that we're on. Uh, we, as you can probably tell, we like to have a good time, which, uh, you know, Brian, you're from South. You understand how that goes. It, we kind of like to be a little oh, bit yeah. loose, you know. Like it, it, it's uh, it's it's fun doing what we get to do. So let's let's enjoy it, you know, and, and have a good time. And then um, also this fall, we're going to be hosting the uh, Rut Fresh Radio, which is a thing that we do with Wired to Hunt, where um, we call around the country and get reports from different areas every week. So if you need to have a good idea of what's going on in your area, Rut Fresh is the place for you. We're going to need you on that, G. That's right, man. Need be, that be glad report. to. I, ho- I hope I have something good to report. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you will. Well, you know, that's the good thing about a report is it doesn't have to be good or bad. It's just whatever's going on. But hopefully right. you do. I hope you, you got something awesome going on, man. And then um, we alluded to, so last fall, we filmed a series called Buck Truck that launched on Meat Eater. And um, there's still two more episodes of that that will launch this fall. Uh, the first one being the one I talked about with Clay in Arkansas. That'll be on September 7th if you kind of want to see how that unfolded. That's a, something you can check out on the Meat Eater YouTube channel. Well, good deal. Yeah, I'll be sure to include notes, show notes or links to all those in the show notes, guys. And, uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I know you guys got a bounce, so I, I appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Yeah. Awesome, Brian. Thanks yeah, so much, dude. Thank you, much, man. Yeah, take care, and we'll, uh, we'll definitely get, get caught up here before long. All right, guys, that wraps up our interview with Casey Smith and Tyler Jones. Uh, Thanks so much for checking out this episode of the Deer Season 365 podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing to the show. You know, you can find us on all the popular podcasting platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and several more. So about anywhere 
you could listen to uh, listen to podcasts. You should be able to find us there. Uh, or you can just go to DeerAssociation.com slash podcast and subscribe directly from our website. Uh, hey, we'd also love it if you take just a second to leave us a five-star rating or a written review. You know, those both help us uh, climb the, the podcasting charts and be more visible to uh, to future listeners. So we would appreciate any support you could give us there. For more information about the National Deer Association, you can visit our website, again, at DeerAssociation.com. From there, you can sign up for our free weekly newsletter and, uh, hey, just enjoy some of our several hundred articles of, of free content right there on our website, covering everything from hunting strategy to food plots, habitat improvement, um, deer management, you name it. Uh, if it's deer hunting or deer management related, we got some good content right there on our website available to you. So check that out. And of course, you can always find us on all the popular social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Deer Association. So again, thanks for listening to the Deer Season 365 podcast, the podcast where deer season never ends.